0: Hi, this is Sue Burke. Welcome to my podcast. Since the unfortunate pandemic, there's been an explosion in the popularity of the horror genre. I saw a chart online and it made me very curious. Curious about the science of fear. Why do we like to be scared? Well, some of us do anyway. Let's take a look at the science of fear, define what is fear and see why some of us like to be scared. What is fear? Is fear sweaty palms, clenched teeth, dilated pupils, or an increased heart rate? Is it a high-pitched scream? Those are reactions to fear, not fear itself. So what is fear? Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by being aware of danger. That took me about 10 seconds to look up online. We need to dig deeper. Fear evolved as a stress response, also known as fight or flight. Don't roll your eyes. I know everybody's learned about this in school. Fight or flight is actually an adjective. It's the physical response to fear triggered by the body's sympathetic nervous system. Back in the caveman days, danger was all around us. We had to fight or run from predators. Of course, there were earthquakes, lightning strikes, rainstorms, and all manner of other natural disasters on top of the predators. Fight or flight evolved as a survival mechanism enabling people and other mammals to react quickly to life-threatening situations. The carefully orchestrated yet near instantaneous sequence of hormonal changes and physiological responses helps us fight the threat off or flee to safety. Naturally, the stress response begins in the brain. When someone confronts an oncoming car or other danger, the eyes and ears or both send info to the amygdala. The amygdala interprets the images and sounds. When the amygdala perceives danger, it instantly sends a distress signal to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is a kind of command center. It communicates with the rest of the body through the autonomic nervous system. Let's do a speedy quick recap. The autonomic nervous system has two components, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system functions like a gas pedal in a car. The sympathetic nervous system triggers the fight or flight response, providing the body with a burst of energy so it can respond to perceived dangers. The parasympathetic nervous system acts like a brake. It promotes a response that calms the body down after the danger has passed. So let's get back to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus activates the sympathetic nervous system by sending signals through nerves to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands respond by pumping the hormone epinephrine into the bloodstream. Now we get those symptoms of fear. But the autonomic nervous system is so efficient that the amygdala and hypothalamus start this cascade even before the brain's visual centers have had a chance to fully process what's happening. That's why people are able to jump out of the path of an oncoming car even before they think about what they're doing. So back to the symptoms. Heart rate and blood pressure increase to pump blood where it's needed. Rapid breathing occurs to get oxygen where it needs to go. Small airways open to take in the extra oxygen, sight and hearing become sharper, glucose and fat flood the bloodstream for energy. As the initial surge of epinephrine subsides, the hypothalamus activates the second component of the stress response system, known as the HPA axis. This is getting a little bit complicated, but if the brain continues to perceive something as dangerous, the hypothalamus releases corticotropin-releasing hormone. The corticotropin-releasing hormone triggers ACTH, which releases cortisol. Flash forward a couple million years to today. Fortunately, in today's world, real danger is not nearly the same as it was a millennia ago. That doesn't mean we've lost our ability to trigger the fight-or-flight response. Our fight-or-flight response can now be activated from psychological or mental stress. If you have too much stress in your life, I do have a different post that gives you a few tips to calm yourself. Anyway, why do we like to be scared? I'm referring to voluntarily engaging in fearful activities. This is also known as the recreational fear phenomenon. I have a link on my website with an article about it. This includes a range of activities, from a toddler playfully being chased by a parent, to reading a scary book, watching horror films, extreme sports, or voluntarily going to a haunted house. Clearly, fear and enjoyment can coexist in recreational horror. You're saying to yourself, of course, because otherwise Stephen King would still be working in a laundromat. But why can fear and enjoyment coexist? we need to look deeper at the science of fear. This has to do with cognitive processing or how we perceive the fear. The frontal lobe or thinking part of our brain weighs in on the fear response too. Imagine this, you're in a dark woods and something jumps out at you. Your brain has no clue if it's your friend playing a trick on you or if a wolf pack is about to attack. Because we like to stay alive, there's no time for your frontal lobe to think, wait, let me consider this and get more evidence. You probably run. Louis sure would. Okay, I'd run too. But I get eaten because Louis is far faster than me. I better bring my neighbor Mike, who looks pretty slow. Don't tell him I said that. On the other hand, imagine the same dark in a situation where we know we're safe. We open that scary book while we're sitting on the couch with our comforter around us. Remember those hormones that our autonomic nervous system so kindly releases when we're afraid? We are hijacking our fight or flight response sitting on the couch with the scary book. Our heart rates amp up, glucose pours into our system, oxygen floods our tissues. Our frontal lobe is telling us we're safe so we can enjoy the fight or flight response in a safe environment. All those same chemicals are released, except under different circumstances. It's more understandable why some of us like to be scared. Everyone is born with different personalities, propensities, and temperaments, and has had different life experiences. All these factors contribute to our perceptions of fear. My sister likes nothing better than watching a horror movie, and my husband is a Stephen King fan. I couldn't even finish it, but I do love milder horror books. Speaking of horror books for middle school, fiction generally provides vicarious experiences through which people can safely simulate a wide range of life experiences that may help them prepare to deal with actual life experiences that may arise later. Hmm, I think I said experiences three times in that sentence. Please forgive me. Anyway, studies show how exposure to frightening fiction allows school-age kids to practice effective coping strategies that can uh, beneficial them in real-life situations, such as during pandemics. Being frightened by books helps kids forge resilience. I have a link to a NIH study that shows how horror fans may be more resilient during pandemics. The distance a scary book affords gives kids and adults an avenue to grapple with complexity and use their imagination to consider different ways of managing social challenges. And what a great way to discuss complex concepts with your kids or grandkids. Read them a scary book. It's safer than leaving them in the woods overnight. So, I would like to include recommendations for five horror books for middle school. The level of horror that a middle school book provides is just about right for me. The Nest by John Clausen. This is from the publisher's description. For some kids, summer is a sun-soaked season of fun, but for Steve, it's just another season of worries. Worries about his sick newborn baby brother who is fighting to survive, worries about his parents who are struggling to cope, even worries about the wasp's nest looming ominously from the eaves. So when a mysterious wasp queen invades his dreams, offering to fix the baby, Steve thinks his prayers have to be answered. All he has to do is say yes. But yes is a powerful word. It's also a dangerous one. And once it's uttered, can it be taken back? While the other world and antagonist in the nest are strange, they are also relatively simple and straightforward. Steve's parents are without question on his side, just preoccupied. The spookiness in the nest builds slowly but it remains straightforward. This would be a great one to discuss strategies about how to say no. The next book is a series. The first one by Katherine Arden, Small Spaces. Actually, they're all by Katherine Arden. There are three books in the series. After suffering a tragic loss, 11-year-old Ollie only finds solace in books. So when she happens upon a crazed woman about to throw a book into the river, Ollie doesn't think, she just acts, stealing the book and running away. As she begins to read the slender volume, she discovers a chilling story about a girl named Beth and two brothers who both loved her and a peculiar deal made with the smiling man. Ollie is captivated by the tale until her school trip the next day to Smoke Hollow, a local farm with a haunting history all its own. There she stumbles upon the graves of the very people she's been reading about. Could it be the story about the smiley man is true? Ollie doesn't have too long to think about the answer to that. On the way home, the school bus breaks down, sending their teacher back to the farm for help. But the strange bus driver has some advice for the kids left behind in his care. Best get moving. At nightfall, they'll come for the rest of you. Nightfall is indeed fast descending when Ollie's previously broken digital wristwatch, a keepsake reminder of better times, begins a startling countdown and delivers a terrifying message, run. My one-word message is read this book." Okay, that's three words, but you get the idea. The Night Gardener by Jonathan Auxleer. Storytelling and the secret desires of the heart wind together in this atmospheric novel that doubles as a ghost tale. Irish immigrants to England, Molly and Kip, make their way to the Windsor House in search of employment. The great house stands in the shadow of a menacing tree which locals speak of only in fearful whispers. Despite her young age and warnings of a local storyteller, Molly uses the power of her own words to secure work, but soon realizes that all is not right in the house. Sure, they're bad guys and ghosts, but the predictability keeps the scare factor in check. This scary book for middle schoolers reads like a classic fairy tale. Thirteens by Kate Alice Marshall. 12-year-old Eleanor has just moved to Eton, Eld, to live with her aunt and uncle after her mother was killed in a fire. Her birthday, which falls on Halloween, is just around the corner, and she hopes that this year will be a fresh start in new life. But then one morning, an ancient grandfather clock counting down 13 hours appears outside of her bedroom. And then she spots a large black dog with glowing red eyes prowling the grounds of her school. A book of fairy tales she's never heard of almost willingly drops in front of her as if asking to be read. Something is wrong in this town. Eleanor and her new classmates, Pip and Otto, are the only ones who see these wrong things and they also all happen to share a Halloween birthday. Bonded by these odd similarities, the trio uncovers a centuries-old pact the town has with the mysterious figure known as Mr. January. Every 13 years, three 13-year-olds disappear Sacrificed in exchange for the town's unending good fortune. Okay, I admit I haven't read this horror book just yet, but I definitely want to. It sounds deliciously creepy with a trio of friends, time running out, and a curse. Who doesn't love a curse in fiction? Lastly, I recommend Spirit Hunters by Ellen O. This is another series. Harper doesn't trust her new home from the moment she steps inside and the rumors are that the Rain family's new house is haunted. Harper isn't sure she believes those rumors until her younger brother Michael starts acting strangely. The whole atmosphere gives Harper a sense of deja vu, but she can't remember why. Well, that's what deja vu is about. Anyway, she knows that the memories she's blocking will help make sense of her brother's behavior and the strange and threatening s- sensations she feels in this house but will she be able to put the pieces together in time? Being that it's middle grade, we all know that she will put the pieces together in time, which is probably why I prefer middle grade horror to adult horror. Booklist gives this book, Spirit Hunters, a starred review. Booklist says, even more impressive than the shiver factor is the way the author skillfully uses the compelling premise to present a strong, consistent message of not rejecting what you don't understand. In spite of book lists' use of double negatives, you can utilize this scary book for middle schoolers to enjoy being scared, practice coping strategies with your kids or grandkids, and help them to learn life's lessons from the safety of the couch. Now you can answer the question: What is fear, and know all about the science of fear. So, do you enjoy horror films and books? If you go to my website at www dot susanburke.com you'll see lots of pictures that I took on a recent trip to Savannah we went to several graveyards my husband was quite a good sport about it you'll notice that all my photos were taken during broad daylight thanks so much for listening to my podcast and again stop by my website www.susanburkcook.com and subscribe nothing scary will happen I promise.